Mary meeting Jesus in the garden. Thomas putting his hand into Jesus' side. These resurrection stories, which focus on specific people at specific moments in time, are central to our picture of Easter. But today, I want to lift up a different kind of resurrection story. It is a story not about specific people at a specific moment in time, but rather about all of us at all times and in all places. It is a story about the story, capital T, capital S, and how God has rewritten that story for our good. Stories like this can be hard to believe, especially if we do not trust the person telling the story. And in this case, our storyteller, the Apostle Paul, is someone who you might not trust. His legacy is complicated, to say the least. But I think that this particular story contains kernels of truth that are worth dealing with some complexity in order to find. And so I invite you to enter into this story with me in search of good news. Now before the resurrection, all humanity was trapped under the power of sin. Now for Paul, sin is more than discrete acts of human misbehavior. Sin is a literal cosmic power that constrains and controls all of our lives. Ever since Adam's disobedience in the garden, humans have been enslaved to it. And sin is not passive. It actively and intentionally exerts its influence on every human that has ever lived. Even the best of us cannot escape its influence. Later in this letter, Paul describes the predicament we find ourselves in like this. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Sin touches every aspect of life. And that means the only way out, the only way to get free of sin, is death. But the problem is that humans die and then they stay dead. And that means that sin gets to be the ultimate author of the human story. It means that sin wins every single time. And this is why, for Paul, the resurrection is the most important event in human history. Christ died. There is no denying that. But now, Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, Paul says death no longer has dominion over him. For the first time, sin lost. Death 
lost. And this is monumental because now we know that there is, in fact, another way out. And that way out is with Christ. To live with Christ is to live free of the power of sin and death. However, there is still one small problem. Christ is risen, but we are not. We are still humans. We still die and stay dead. If breaking free from the power of sin and death is only possible through dying and rising, then quite frankly, we are still screwed. But, Paul says, we can die and rise again. God has made a way where there was no way. And baptism is the key. In case you're unfamiliar, baptism is a ritual where water is used to mark a person's entry into the family of God. And throughout history, communities have done this ritual in various ways. Some sprinkle a little bit of water on a person's head, others pour even more. As best we can tell, though, the churches Paul was connected to practiced baptism by immersion. That is, your entire body would be submerged underwater briefly, and then you would come back up. And this practice of going underneath the water and then coming back up was meant to mirror and symbolize Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul does not view baptism as mere symbolism. He believes that when we are baptized, we are actually uniting with Christ. We are mystically participating in his death and resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. We actually die with Christ, and we actually rise again with Christ. And as a result, what is true for Christ becomes true for us. Because remember, as Paul says in our passage, whoever has died is freed from sin. Sin might still be at work in the world, but it no longer has the authority to write our story. That authority now belongs to the risen Christ, who invites all who die and rise with him to walk in newness of life. Now, what does newness of life look like? You sort of have to read the rest of the letter Paul wrote to figure that out. We don't have time for that today. But the TLDR is that it looks a lot like living like Jesus did. Loving God and loving your neighbor. And that, my friends, is the story. Now, I mentioned at the outset that stories like this one can be hard to believe. Rarely do we use the language of sin to describe our failures to do what is right. Rarer still do we ascribe those failures to the influence of invisible cosmic forces. 
And though there are still some Christians today who believe what Paul believed about baptism, my hunch is that most of the folks in this room feel like Paul thinks baptism is basically magic. And so why tell this story when it is full of ideas that seemingly have no place in our world today? Well, hypothetical person, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking. I'll explain. Paul does indeed see the world very differently from us. But I do think he is on to something about the predicament we find ourselves in. We are influenced by forces beyond our control. Racism, capitalism, patriarchy, climate change, just to name a few. These forces are so embedded in our world that they have taken on lives of their own, and they define our lives so thoroughly that we are not able to escape them by our own power. Even when we try to do what is right, often there are ripples causing harm in ways that we cannot see or avoid. But the truth of Paul's worldview goes even deeper than just this. It is not only that we cannot avoid participating in unjust systems. It is also that injustice has found its way inside of us. Most of us, if we have the courage to be honest with ourselves, would confess that we are not impervious to the influence of these forces on our own minds and behavior. So whether we call it the system or sin with a capital S, I am convinced that what Paul says is true. We can will what is right. We cannot do it. And when we want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Friends, this is a predicament that no amount of bootstrap lifting can get us out of. We need a savior, and one that is concerned not just with one that is concerned not just with what happens when we die, but also with what happens while we live. And that, I think, is the good news that we can find in Paul's story. That God cares enough about our living that God is not content to leave us as mere victims to the powers of this world. In Christ, God has made a way for us to walk in newness of life. Christ is risen, and his resurrection is something we can tap into right now. Union with Christ is possible. New life is possible. Freedom is possible. We just need to die. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. 
and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The late German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. When Christ calls a person, he calls them to come and die. So while I do think Paul was right when he said that we need to die, I don't think that a one-time death through our baptism is enough. We can all probably attest to the fact that baptism is, in fact, not a magic bullet for moral or spiritual perfection. Most of us in this room probably cannot even remember our baptism. The truth, friends, is that I don't need to die once. I need to die every day. Each day, every day, there is something of myself that needs to die so that new life can spring forth. It might be my need to be right or to be in control. It might be my instinct to put up walls to protect myself from others. And to speak to the reality of sin at work in the world, it might be some internalized racism or patriarchy. It might be my compulsion to buy things I don't need or my resistance to being generous with what I have. Walking in newness of life means that I need to confront these things every day. Through prayer and honest reflection, I need to confront them, name them as sin, and then let them go so that they can die and I can live. Thankfully, I do not have to do this alone, and nor do you. As Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 17, God has sent God's Spirit to be with us and to guide us into truth and life. And this means that these small, everyday deaths, these moments where we let go of the things which prevent us from loving God and loving our neighbor, they are the work of the Spirit within us, transforming us into the likeness of the risen Christ. God is with us every day, helping us to die to ourselves and live anew. And the Spirit is not all that God gives us. God also gives us one another, the body of Christ. Because sometimes we need someone else to tell us what needs to die. And sometimes we also need them to help us unclench our fists and let it go. And God gives us the world itself with all of its cycles of death and resurrection to remind us that this process is beautiful, holy, and most of all, necessary. This work of dying to ourselves is the work of a lifetime. But as the late author Judy Canado said, when we engage in a lifetime of death and resurrections as Jesus did, we become ever more empowered to do the work God asks us to do. 
Friends, through Christ's resurrection, we are invited to participate in a new story. One where the Spirit of God equips us and empowers us to resist and overcome the powers at work within us and in the world. In this story, Easter can come every day. And through the Spirit, we can carry the light of Easter everywhere we go. That, my friends, is a story worth telling. It's a story worth living. And may it also become ours. Amen.